It's Sunday night, it's 9.30, and once again, it's time for the Jersnet podcast, the totally free and independent Rangers show brought to you by the fans, for the fans, and always absolutely live. game that we can talk about this week but that's certainly not going to stop us from having the last words on all of the week's stories. Tonight on the show we're going to be reflecting on the season so far, checking in with the Scotland squad and taking a look at all the latest news from throughout the week. My name's Ross Bennett and I'm going to be your Jersnet podcast host this evening and as always I've got two very knowledgeable and insightful guests with me. First up it's the Jersnet regular Christine Somerville. Christine, how have you enjoyed your weekend? Well I think I'm having a Rangers withdrawal symptoms. Um, it's been a kind of wasted weekend for me. Um, we're not going to even talk about Scotland, I believe, which is good. Um, but I've really missed going to a game this weekend, so um, roll on next Saturday. Well, knowing you, surely you've been passing the time by just staring at topless photos of Stephen Gerrard. There are worse things you can do in your spare time, Ross. No, certainly. We're, we're here to talk Rangers, we're not here to judge. Um, <laughs> Also with us this evening, it's a very warm welcome back to David Wren. David, how's things at your end? Good, thanks, Ross. How are you doing? Hi, very, very good. Thank you. Um, now, guys, if this is your first time with us on the Jazznet podcast, then remember we are indeed live. You can get involved with the show by leaving us a comment here on the YouTube stream. Um, give us your comments, your questions. I'll be keeping my eye on that um, and get through as many questions as we can. Remember as well that the show is going to be available for download every Monday morning, so from tomorrow about 8 o'clock. Uh, it's available on iTunes, Google Music, Acast, Stitcher, CastBox and Spotify. So make sure you hit the subscribe button just to make sure you never miss a thing. Right, I think that's the spiel out of the way. Uh, since there's not been a game this week, obviously I'm absolutely gagging to start talking about the Rangers. Um, Christine, now that the dust has settled from the old firm, if you look at the sort of the snapshot of the season, what are we now? Getting on to mid-September. We've qualified for Europe. We've picked up nine points from a possible 12 in the league. And we're safely through to the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Is it fair to quantify that as a successful start to the season? Well, obviously, if we had picked up all three points last Sunday, it would have been a perfect start to the season. Um, the, the result last Sunday can put a bit of a dampener on it. And because it's the last game that we all remember, we're all still on a, a bit of a downer. But probably if somebody had said at the beginning of the season, right, come the 1st of September, whatever, this will be the, the situation. Probably would have, would have, you know, bitten your hand off given the, the fixtures that we've had. And in addition, I think qualifying for Europe, to me, that was our most important result. And I would rather have won that game than won last Sunday if I had to pick... I mean, it's, it's obviously it's not an easy uh, an easy decision to make, but I think I think there's merit in what you're saying there. That if it hadn't been Celtic that we'd lost to, and it hadn't been the last game before this international break, say that you know if, if we'd not had an old firm derby and we'd say lost to Motherwell or something, then we probably would be looking back and reflecting a bit more positively than than we are at the moment. David, how about yourself? What's your kind of summation as to the position that we're in as we get to the first international break? 
I think really when we when we looked at the season at the start, I think we would have taken, you know, getting to the group stages again. I think that was there was a lot of pressure on the team, and I think there was a lot of pressure on the manager to get that after last season. Um, and you know it was great to get that again. We're obviously on a high, and especially when the first three games uh, in the league was great as well, and the way that we won them. And then obviously it's diff- it's disappointing to. To lose the first old firm game, but then at the same time, I don't think the league was won and lost last Sunday. So I think overall, when you look at the bigger picture, to get to the group stages again, I think it's just a remarkable achievement for the for the team and to you know go through all the qualifiers yet again and to get you know that financial um, bonus from from the qualification as well. You know, it's got to be seen as a as a decent start to the season, and I think it's a good. I think the international break came at a good time for us because it's sort of giving us a bit of breathing space and lets us reflect on uh, on the start of the season. I think maybe losing to Celtic wasn't the worst thing because now we can look at where we sort of need to go from here um, and what we need to improve on. So do you think maybe, David, considering, like you say, eight, eight qualifying ties that we'd gone through, plus then three ties in the league, and the League Cup that we'd been in action as well. Do you think maybe the old firm was just one game too far and that the international break maybe came seven days too late? I don't know. It was quite it was quite a difficult one because I'd actually spoken about the, the old firm game on, on Sunday morning um, and I'd said that if we played the way we played, you know, the first half of the the Legia game on the Thursday night, we would, we would lose and... Uh, we genuinely played the exact same way, um, and I, I didn't feel like we we looked tired or looked unfit. And I don't even think we there's been many old firm games in the past, especially the past couple of years, where we've sort of been bullied at the game and, and they've just looked ten times better. I don't think that was the case. We were just so poor on the ball and really struggled to retain possession, which was disappointing. Um, and I don't know if it was one too far, maybe mentally one too far, just the amount of games we've had, but. I don't know. I just think I'd, I'd seem to be a mentality thing last week in the sense of getting out that funk and, and, and trying to stop that sloppiness. Um, so I don't know if that can be blamed on too many games or maybe it was just that I really don't know. It's difficult to say whether it was fatigue or whether it was just struggling to, to get over the sort of feeling of Thursday night's game because I always took a lot of the players. And they, they seem to be playing in a very similar way to, to that Thursday. And then to obviously the mental part of that, you know, getting the goal so late and the euphoria that came with that and what we've achieved. And there was a bit of pressure on us as well going into Sunday, probably for the first time. Certainly the first time being favourites, you know, since we came back up. So there was a lot of pressure involved in the game. And I don't know, maybe it just got, got the better of the players and they felt they had to force it a wee bit more. I don't think you can blame it on, on fatigue, certainly not at this stage of the season. No, I think you're probably right. And I think on top of all of that, on top of the mental side of things, following the, the leggy game on the Thursday, you've got individual mistakes costing us dearly, such as Connor Goldson giving the ball away cheaply. And you've got, ultimately, I think everyone accepting that the manager probably set this one up wrong um, with no wingers on the park. But obviously, you know, this is seven days on. We're not here necessarily just to reflect on the old firm. Um, Christine... This is the first pod that, that Jesnet have managed to put out since the transfer window shut. Um, and it's it's probably the, 
going to be the most defining part of our season is, is you know what we can do up to the start of September in terms of bringing players in and moving players on. How impressed have you been overall with, with how the transfer window has gone generally before we drill down into the specifics? Well, we've certainly added plenty of players, Ross. Um, most of them, or quite a few of them, I haven't actually seen yet. Um, you know, obviously, Jake Hastie's going out on, on loan already without, I think, he played one game. Um, we seem to have added, but I'm not sure whether the quality required has been added. It's more quantity. It looks to me like we've signed quite quite a lot of players. You know, Greg Stewart, um, Jordan Jones, various people like that. But nobody who really is going to be a first team pick all the time. So that's that's one of the questions that I had. Is that is there a is there an element of quality, quantity over quality here? And and when you look at players like you say, Greg Stewart. Brandon Barker, that's the one that to me still kind of sticks out as a little bit surprising. Even if you cast your mind back to kind of the tail end of last season, bringing in Andy Firth, it's like, is, is there a danger that maybe we're guilty slightly of, of panicking, panic buying some players and, and maybe stockpiling in certain positions? I mean, everyone can see that we're, we're very well stocked in, in the centre of the park. Yeah, um, I think um, Brandon Barker probably wouldn't have been signed had we known we were getting Ryan Kent. Uh, I suspect that um, that was a bit of a panic when it looked as if we weren't going to get Kent. Um, I don't see him playing an awful lot of games, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and same with the, the guy King. I'm just not sure where he fits in or whether he will fit in or not to the, to the current team. David, how about yourself? I mean... Is it fair to say perhaps that the, the successful aspect of the transfer window has been not so much in the players that we've brought in, but in some of the key assets that we've managed to hold on to, particularly thinking of Tav and Morelos? Um, yeah, I think for me, Tav on there was the one we had to keep. I don't think he was replaceable. Morelos, I wasn't. Uh, obviously, like every every other fan, I think you know he's a great player and he's a great player for us and but I think he was replaceable and I would have taken, you know, maybe 15, 20 million, something like that, if um, if we could have got it. But Tavernier, I felt, was... I just don't think you can replace that sort of impact and the goals and assists that he offers. Um, so that was great to keep him, and especially when how important fullbacks are in the current game. You know, I was surprised that no one actually came in with, with anything more formal. Um I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I agree, you know, on the quantity over quality aspect. I think we had to add players and I think, I would like to think when the group stages start, we'll, we'll see more of Greg Stewart and, and these kind of guys. Because I, I do, obviously I covered Kelly um, last season when Greg Stewart was there and he was excellent. Um, for Kilmarnock, really, really good. And if we could get that player back instead of the one that was at Aberdeen and, and I genuinely think he could end up, you know, making maybe fifteen or sixteen starts in the in the league this season because he, he could come in just after the European games. Um, obviously Barker, I get what you mean with Barker, but I think we need to give him the chance to to play. And I think Andy King, 
just to just to mention the ones that have, that have already been mentioned previously, I think he will add quality um, once we see him. It's just I think a lot of these players will signed with the league in mind and the cup in mind, um, especially you know now we're in the group stages, and I think we'll we'll then see more of these players. Um, the more games we're playing, I think the same against you know, I really just icing on the cake for us. And I think in terms of a squad, we have a a really strong squad now with players that can come in and out um, that will complement the league in Europe thing a wee bit better than last season because last season we were playing a lot of the same players all the time. And I think, you know, you look at Scott Arfield, I think he's probably still paying the price for that because he played a hell of a lot of games last season and then obviously went away at the end of the season with Canada. So, the more players we have, and I think we've got a good level of quality in the squad, and I think now when when we come back after that national break, we'll now see um, that come to the fore a wee bit more. We'll see more of the players getting getting rotated, and a few more of them in the in the, in the team. I would have thought. Do you think, though, David, that is it fair to say that we really have improved the squad compared to where we were last season? Because to my mind, right, we've, obviously we brought Kent back in, but he's a player we had last season, so it's it's not an upgrade. It's, it's no. You know, improving upon what we had. We've lost Kindeas, who I was a, a massive, massive fan of, and I don't feel that we've adequately adequately replaced him. We've not replaced particularly at left back, which is where we kind of thought we really needed to do so. We brought in a, a, a very expensive centre half, but he's not really getting a game ahead of Goldson and Katic. Is the squad actually stronger than it was, say, six months ago? Um, I would say it is. I think Centre half last season we had Goldson, Katic, McCauley and Worrell. I thought Worrell was really poor. I really didn't rate him at all. I couldn't understand why he played over Katic. Um, with McCauley who couldn't run. And now we have, I think now we have four centre halves that are actually quite good. Um, and we have four that can, you wouldn't feel uncomfortable with any of them playing, whereas last season, I felt uncomfortable when Morrow played. And I think I was proved right other than a few games in Europe and, and a couple of the Old Firm games. Um, Katic has really come on. He's now probably arguably one of our best players. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I, I genuinely think we have improved the squad. And I think when you look at the likes of Aribo and again, I say King, once he gets what gets match fit, he's a, he'll be a good squad player for us. Um, but I agree. I agree with the left back. The left back comment you made. I think that's that is fair enough. Um, Candace, I don't know. I felt Candace was good in Europe. I think he was really really good for us in Europe. But I think league wise, he never really gave as much in the games where we needed a wee bit some special in the final third. Hopefully, Ojo and and Kent and Jones when he comes back can offer a wee bit more of that. But yeah, as far as I can see, you know, when you look at the squad this time last season. To now have Morelos and Defoe instead of Morelos, Sadiq and Lafferty, I think they too are better than the three we had last season. So for me, I think it is stronger. And I think we, again, as I said previously, I think we will see um, we'll see it more when the, when the European games are coming thick and fast. Yeah, I, I think I was slightly playing devil's advocate there. I think where we'll really see the improvements in the squad is in the, the confidence that you can have when you start looking outside the first eleven. Um, like you say, you know, in, in midfield now we've got, we really do have two 
not just two players for every position, but two players that you trust. And it's the same, obviously, at centre-half. You've got two players that you trust in goals. I'd still happily trust West Fodringham in, in the majority of games that we would throw him into. Um, and up front, two, you know, two of the most capable strikers in the league. Um, we've kind of skirted around this issue, Christine, but it's it's the first time now on, on the podcast that we can talk about the signing of Ryan Kent. Um Obviously, a very, very late acquisition on deadline day for a long, long time. It looked like it wasn't going to happen, um, but it's been talked about all summer and, and it looks like a, a monster deal of what, six and a half to seven million pounds. So a huge outlay for the club um, to, to bring Kent back to Ibrooks. First things first, I mean, what kind of impact do you think that he's going to have? Um, I think it's probably fair to say that Jordan Jones has had a couple of decent games. Shea Ojo's had a couple of decent games, but nothing quite of the calibre uh, that, that Ryan Kent showed last season although that was only shown in, in you know it wasn't 100% consistent um, but he definitely seemed to have more of a, an end product or more of an output than, than Jones and Ojo certainly seem to have shown so far what kind of an impact do you think that signing is going to have on the squad? Well I, I think I've put it on record that I'm, I'm not a, a massive Ryan Kent fan um, I felt he was slightly overrated and I don't think we should have paid the money that we did pay for him. However, now that it's done, I'll obviously support him. I think that the impact he'll have probably <clears throat> around the, you know, his team members, I think most of them will be happy that he's back and um, hopefully he manages to improve on last season's goals and assists because... I don't think um, overall these statistics um, really you know, were, were outstanding in any way. I think they were probably below average. But I think one thing you can take from Ryan Kent is in the big games, he's always up for it. Um, whereas I felt, going back to the, the, the Celtic game, there were just too many players that weren't up for it. Um, they went up for the physical battle, um, but I think Ryan Kent will give us that um, against Celtic because he certainly proved that in the past, that when it comes to these games, he can deliver what we want. So just take us a bit more into detail about you know, why you think he's not worth, not worth the outlay of, of what, six and a half to seven million. Obviously you mentioned stats, but stats aren't aren't everything the game's not played on paper and you know there's plenty of videos showing the, the kind of intangible side of Ryan Kent's game of bringing others into play and making runs that don't necessarily mean he's the assist but maybe he provided the assist for the assist so what is it that you think he needs to add to his game to to justify that transfer fee? I think just a wee bit more consistency Ross I think um, there was a lot of games where he kind of flattered to deceive um, he <clears throat> would go on runs but a lot of them didn't really end up with anything tangible. Um, maybe I'm just being really, really unfair on the player. He's still a young boy. And, um, you know, I think hopefully he'll come good this season. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, when it comes to Rangers supporters, um, I'm definitely in the minority there. And I know that I am. So um, just take it from somebody um, who I've been going to, to Ibrox since the 70s. So 
I've seen an awful lot of players. Uh, I think he's a wee bit Barry Mackay-esque, where his reputation was bigger than the player that he actually was. And I hope I'm wrong with Ryan Kent. Um, I, I don't know. I really, I'm not sure, I suppose, and I will let him prove me wrong with fantastic displays for us this season. I mean, it's, it's it's a strong viewpoint, Christy, considering the amount of money that was splashed out on the lad. Um, and to be fair, it does seem to be sort of in some some circles being talked up like he's the answer to all the problems. You, to be fair, you've got some you've got some support there on the YouTube stream. Orange Blue Thirty Seven saying that he agrees with you that he's done a lot of good work against Celtic, but not necessarily a seven million pound player. Scott Castle makes a good point as well that he's he's not a finished product, and to to a degree, we're buying potential. Do you think he's the kind of player, Christine, that we might turn a profit on at £7 million? I suppose it depends on how he develops, Ross. Um, you know, if he, if it goes the way that a lot of the Rangers supporters hope it's going, then he will um, increase his value, especially if he's going to England. But we don't seem very good at getting money for our players. Um, you know, when you look at, I hate comparing us to them, but when you look at some of the money that they've got for fairly average players uh, over the years, we can't seem to, you know, sell our players on for big money. I mean, there's a the last one I can remember is Boomsong um, that went for a massive fee. But I just, I just hope that. Um, he can fulfil his potential. That's, I mean, it, to me, it's hope rather than expecting him to. David, where do you where do you come in on this one? I mean, it's. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm delighted to sign him. I think he's. I think he offers that little bit of something special that we need in the team. Um, I think it's funny actually because I've watched Ojo this season and he's really frustrated me at points, but I remember having the exact same feelings with Kent this time last season. Um, and I think even his development from, you know, the first couple of months of the season to when he had returned uh, Christmas to play Celtic was just night and day. And I think at the end of the day, we've got to, we've got to spend money, or spend the right money on players like him. And I don't think we we're ever going to get him for anything less than what we paid. And it's now up to us to to sort of get him, get him playing and to get that big fee for him because you've got to believe that you can you can uh, develop players to a point where they are moving on for bigger fees than you, than you brought them in for. But I think when you look at us last last week, we needed Ryan Kent in that game. We needed someone that could give us something special in the final third. And actually, we needed that against Legia as well. We'll just look at Jordan Jones provided it um, with the cross for Morales. I have no concerns over the, the few we paid for him. I think he's a he's an excellent player. He gives you that spark. And yeah, I was I was really, really happy that I mean to what extent, David, do you think that us losing to Celtic at, you know, so close to the, the transfer deadline, do you think that had any impact on the Rangers board and on the club sort of deciding that actually look, we've seen what we've seen how we struggled and we didn't create against Celtic, we need to actually break the bank to really go and get him? I don't know. I don't know. I think um, 
I'd like to think no, I'd like to think this was already in the pipeline um before that game because you know it was it was a it was a deal we really had to do or had to get done because it was, it rumbled on for so long and I I was glad we eventually got it done. I'd like to think we weren't forced into you know a, a situation where we felt we had to make some sort of statement to to appease the fans and appease the sort of you know everyone in Scottish football after the defeat to Celtic. Um, I I would have been delighted with that signing whenever it happened over the summer. Um, but I, suppose, I can't I can't really answer that question because I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I would just like to hope that we had this planned out before before that game, which. For the amount of money we were spending and for how quickly it happened, I'd like to think there was already talks going on before before Monday. So if that's the case then and that you know this has been in the pipeline for a while and it's not necessarily dependent on the on the Celtic result, is it kind of can we leverage any criticism at the club that they didn't get this over the line sooner, you know, perhaps ahead of the Celtic game and maybe the result could have been different? It seemed to me like Liverpool were playing hardball constantly with this deal, whether it was you know trying to get him on loan or, or um, you know trying to work out a suitable fee to, to get him. I'm not a I'm not a massive you know one for bashing the club. I also don't like to let them all scot free, but in this case, I think these deals are so difficult to do sometimes and. Yeah, you can say like we should have got it done on Friday so he could have played on Sunday. But even if we got it done last week, would he really have been fit to play in a game as big as that? I don't know. So I I wouldn't like to leverage too much uh, criticism their way for that. You know, I'm just glad that they've got it done and we've got him now in time for what's going to be another huge few months for us in terms of Europe and keeping pace in the league um, because now we're three points behind. We really, until we play them again, we cannot really afford to drop any more points. So it's going to be a huge few months for us, um, both domestically and in, and in Europe. So I'm just glad that we got the deal done. Um, got over the line, got that last sort of piece we needed, I, I think, in the squad. Um, and that last wee bit of quality in the final third that will hopefully be able to win us a few games this season. I absolutely. I, I completely agree with you, to be honest, David. I think he's... It does bring an extra quality and it's it's one of these things where it was always going to go down to the wire. You could tell that Liverpool had a position that they didn't want to budge from and you know, fair enough, they know that they have got a £7 million player there and they're not going to sell him for a less just to do us a favour because of who our manager is or just because we're in a slightly um, more constrictive market. Um, if we move on from Ryan Kent, obviously we've, we've kind of assessed the state of the squad a wee bit. Something that I want to focus on a little bit more, and actually is a, a wonderful question from Gordon here on the YouTube stream. Um, a question that's worth asking, particularly when we consider the form of Connor Goldson, David. Who's our current strongest centre-half pairing? Um, Goldson and Katic, for me. I think they have shown already this season that they are, um, you know, they have a great, great understanding uh, Goldson made a mistake last Sunday, but how many mistakes has Goldson actually made? You know, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Motherwell last season when he slipped. I think Goldson's it. one of our best players. I would not be dropping him um, at any point if I could help it. And I think Katic has now turned into that complete centre half that we needed. Um, 
But I've not seen enough of, of Hollander to have a proper opinion on him. And, and probably the same goes for Edmondson. But I think I can't see Gerard dropping the two that are in at the moment. Only because I think they've got that understanding from last season as well. Even though Katic dropped out from time to time, I think for me they are the two strongest. And regardless of the money we paid for Hollander, I think he will know himself that he's got a got to adapt to the game here and hopefully this will give them that chance because it is different to Italy it's it's much much different um, and it would take them a bit of time and, and you know what it's like for a centre half especially you know you have a couple of bad games trying to adapt to the new surroundings and you're immediately called a dud by you know the media and even some fans so I would stick with Katic and Goldson I do think they're the strongest and I think Katic especially has come on leaps and bounds. And for me, Goldson's just one of our strongest players and you don't drop your, your strongest players. So I think at the moment, that's one area of the pitch where we don't really need to do a great deal of tinkering. You see, I slightly disagree with you actually, David. I mean, I, I, I completely agree about Katic and, and for me, he's been probably one of our strongest players, possibly my player of the season so far. And the improvement between him now and, and where he was maybe six to nine months ago, I think is... You know, it's night and day because he was he looked nervous at times, he made the wrong decisions at times, he would sometimes be a little bit reckless. But now he's I think he's absolutely um unbeatable in the air and, and a really, really strong, strong centre half with a bright future, obviously a very young lad still as well. My concern is Connor Goldson, his decision making at times makes me nervous in that he he always seems to let the ball bounce. He seems to get caught out by kind of high floating balls coming down towards him and he'll let the ball bounce and can get turned quite easily. Um, and I wonder if, you know, he, he does seem to be undroppable actually at times. And, you know, obviously he was, he was rested so that Hollander could get a run out against East Fife. But considering the outlay that we spent on Hollander, considering the pedigree, you know, we don't sign many players from the, the top tier in Italy. Um, if it was me, Conor will be making way for Hollander. People Katic does. Um, Christine, how about yourself? What do you what do you make of the competition at, at, at the centre of defence? Can I just go back slightly to the signing of Ryan Kent? Sorry, Ross, I was de- desperate to get in there and I didn't get the opportunity. But to me, if we hadn't qualified for Europe we wouldn't have signed Kent so I don't think it was a panic the Celtic game I think it was because we qualified for Europe on to the centre halves um, I'm a wee bit like you with Goldson I think um, he's he's a reliable enough defender I think his distribution is not great to be honest and I actually think although I haven't seen Edmondson that much um, I remember thinking at the time, you know, his distribution's great. I can't really speak too much about how he is a, as a defender. Goldson, I think, is the vice captain, isn't he? Um, so it's unlikely that he is going to be dropped. And I absolutely love Big Katic. So um, I think for the time being, it is going to be Goldson and Katic. But if I was going to be dropping one of them, it wouldn't be Katic. You see, that's that's exactly how I feel as well. I mean, it's, it's it's a lovely problem to have. What does concern me is that first things first, we've obviously gone out and spent what is it, three or four million pounds on Hollander, and when we spend that kind of money, I imagine we've given him some kind of assurances that look, you're going to be our 
you know, our, our primary choice at centre half. Um, and we don't want a three million pound player sitting on the bench unhappy because he's been promised something that's not been delivered. Um, it also it seems like a sort of like I say, it's a nice problem to have, but a strange transfer decision to to have Goldson and Catrich doing so well, to have a reasonably not reasonable a fairly solid deputy there in Edmondson already, to then go out and spend another three million pounds on Hollander when Goldson and Katic are, are, are doing a good job and would it not maybe have made more sense to spend £1 million on another another centre-half like George Edmondson than it would be to go and spend £3 million on a on a big lad from the Serie A. But I think probably the, the form of Katic has taken everyone at the management team by surprise. Um, as I understand that when he was signed, he was looked at as a bit of a project signing to kind of develop him and sell him on for big bucks, which I think will happen, but the rate of that development seems to have taken everyone by surprise a little bit. So, um, look, it's, like I say, it's a lovely problem to have. Um, it's it's similar to our, our problems that we can have in midfield in that I think we've got some very, very capable central midfielders. Um, and, and this goes back to the squad depth and the, the confidence that we can now have in, in the, the the abilities of the squad outside that first 11. Um, if we move on slightly from the, the state of the squad, Something that's that's concerned me this week, obviously, if we look at the news that's been coming out throughout the week, um, Rod Petrie's been on record this week saying that he's keen to build upon the momentum created by UEFA in terms of sanctioning the club for, for banned sectarian songs. Christine, do you think this means that, obviously, with Rod Petrie's new, more high-powered role in, in the governance of Scottish football, do you think that we need to be braced for potential sanctions coming domestically as well as in Europe? I think what we need to do, Ross, is to make sure that the European song songbook um, is shared domestically, um, because it, it to me it's only a matter of time before they do come after us um, in Scotland, and you can have all the whataboutery that you want, but we need to get an act in order, uh, and I think. Yeah, I think that's what he's referring to. Um, that that'll give the SFA an opportunity to try and start something. Um, whether it be ground closures, whether it be points deducted, um, and Petrie is just the man to to drive that. Um, he is obviously a, another Rangers hater. And um, unfortunately, there seems to be too many of them in the SFA. But I think if we get our house in order, and obviously uh, last Thursday night um, against Legia, the songbook was absolutely fine. Um, even against Celtic, it was it was probably okay. I mean, I didn't hear anything about the Billy Boys or the Pope or, you know, that kind of thing. So I just think we need to just don't give them any excuse to impose any sanctions on our club. No, absolutely. And I think we all have a responsibility to, to protect the club in, in that way and, and make sure we're supporting in the right way. But, you know, we've, we've spoken about this over the last few pods. Obviously, it's been a difficult time with sanctions coming from UEFA and, and whilst we may not agree with the rules we have to have a certain acknowledgement that it's UEFA's ball and if we don't play by their rules then they'll take the ball away um, 
David, what can the club actively do to protect themselves? You know, if you're if you're a director or you know employed at the club, what can what can the club do to protect ourselves from any potential sanctions that might come from the SFA? I think the club is in a <clears throat> in an extremely difficult position. I think what they've done recently with the statements they put out um, is about as much you know as they can do. I don't see what more can be done to to stop it and obviously as Christine says you know the, the leg again there didn't seem to be any any problems and I think it's just about fans getting back to you know just not not giving anyone a reason to to, sla- to you know to slap a ban on us or whatever um, and to stop singing these songs because I started going to games maybe you know 15-20 years ago and it wasn't you didn't hear these songs for years, like sort of McLeish years, and then moving on to to Smith's second time there. Um, I don't remember hearing the Billy Boys and stuff like that a lot at all. And then it was when we came back up, you know, going through the leagues, and then we came back up and played Celtic. I remember being at the, the Celtic game at Hamden when Kenny McDowell was in charge. It seemed to be quite quite a lot of the bigoted songs were back that day. And then it just sort of carried on from there um, to now, and I don't really know why they why they returned. I don't know if it was just through being back and, and having all the years away. But in terms of the club, I think it's all they can do is, is say don't do it. I don't think there's anything else. They, they can issue bans to supporters that are caught doing it as well, and that, that, I'm sure that would that would stop you know people from doing it. But I think it's just a matter of. They've got to make it make it clear that the, the the club won't stand for it, and I think they've done their best to do that. It's in the past few weeks. It's just about carrying on that that you know zero tolerance for it and and, and trying to stamp it out that way because it is, it is a difficult position that they're in. I think. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, it's it's no win for the club because you you know you react too strongly to this and you alienate your fan base. You don't react strongly enough, and it looks to the, the authorities like you're you're not taking it seriously and that you're not committed to eradicating it or, or what have you. The saddest thing for me though is that you know we think back two months ago, Rangers. Sometimes our biggest issue isn't is 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 really just PR. I mean, we can all we can all talk about Jim Trainer. We can talk about Level Five and and. I do think sometimes we have, we're not saying it's, it's their fault, but I'm saying we have PR issues at the club and, and sometimes the, the message that we put out gets spun the wrong way. Um, so for then, Rangers obviously put a lot of work into this um, everyone, anyone initiative to, to try and broaden the church of Ibrooks and, and, and show that everyone's welcome. And, and it, the timing of everything's just turned out to be really, really unfortunate. And I, I worry that a lot of the good work done by the club in that regard, which did build up a lot of really positive PR um, and got a, a lot of really good traction, is is kind of being undone by, you know, like you say, a return to to songs that we don't need. That, that you know, we don't need to be mentioning the Pope. We don't need to be uh, singing songs with with the naughty words in them. So I think that'll that'll be the kind of the, the last point to make on that. As actually, as JM makes makes a good point here on the on the YouTube stream that the supporters need to be reporting these guys. You know, if we're all concerned about protecting the club, about protecting the brands, protecting the revenue, because it might have an impact on sponsorship or whatever. Um, so that you're right, the supporters do need to to start reporting the guys if 
um, if you see it and if it's if you think it's becoming an issue. Um, other things that have obviously been in the news this week, it's, it's kind of dominated as an international week, uh, international break. We've got the Scottish national team back in duty. Again, I don't want to spend too long. Obviously, this is a Rangers podcast, and we're not going to talk necessarily about the pathetic performance that we saw against Russia uh, on Friday night. Um, what I'm more interested in, David, is the, the, the relationship, particularly between the Rangers support and the Scottish Football Association, is pitiful. It seems that the relationship between the SFA and the club itself is also at an all-time low. What can Rangers do to mend the relationship with the SFA? And actually, is it even in our interest to mend that relationship, considering some of the characters at the SFA who, who by their actions, are known to despise our club? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Honestly, I'm in a situation that I was talking about it off air before the show um, and that I don't really take a great interest in Scotland and it's not obviously I've got a bit of history you know working with Steve Clark and stuff and I really like him as a guy I think he's a, a really good coach as well you know I got to know a bit of Kelly and I wanted to see him do well um, but and I want to see Scotland do well you know I, I've nothing I'm not in any way sort of would want Scotland not to not to to win games. I'm just not really that interested in the full thing at the moment. I think I don't think I'm the only Scotland fan, regardless of what club you support, that's in that position. Um, I think everybody's just a bit disillusioned by it at the moment, especially the Rangers support. And I think that that just stems from our years again at the top flight and how how that all went down. Again, the club. I mean, what is? I think the damage is already done with a lot of fans, and I don't think anything the club could do with the SFA would be able to mend that. I think it's so far gone now. You know, we don't have a lot of the matter. I mean, we don't have any, we don't have a lot of Scotland players in the team either. Ryan Jack is only one, really, that realistically that would that would be in the Scotland squad. He is in the Scotland squad. But other than that, you know, it's difficult in that sense as well because there's not a great deal of interest for the Rangers supporter in the street that want to see our players do well in the in the in the Scotland team. That's another issue. But yeah, I don't, I don't really see what the club could do to to mend that. And as you say, I don't know. Would it would it be in their best interest? Probably. Well, that's. I mean, what what would they gain from it? What would what would be in it for us? You know. Well, that- would it not serve us well to have our players represented on the international stage? Would it aid their development, you know, if you're a young Scottish player to get exposure to the national team? Or even, you know, as Christine mentioned earlier, that we don't do well at selling our players on for profit. Maybe if we have them exposed at the international level, that, that might put them in the shop window a little bit more or bump up the price. Yeah, I mean, my point was, though, I mean, who else, what other players would get in the Scotland squad at the moment, in, in our team, in our full squad, apart from Ryan Jack? There isn't one. Really. There's very few of them Scottish. That's what I mean, though. I mean, there isn't a great deal of Scottish players in the in our team. We'd have a lot of good Scottish players in the in the younger squads who when they come through will will do well. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's difficult in that situation as well, because we've only got one player who is going to get in the squad. So that's difficult in itself. Um and I, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I'd love to see Ross McCrory come back to Rangers and 
I think I still think he could be a future captain. I'd love to see him in the Scotland squad. Um, but there's not. I mean, we don't have a great deal of Scottish players that are going to play for Scotland at this moment in time. So that that's difficult as well. And the only player we do have is in the squad. So yeah, it, it's a funny old situation to be honest. Um, and there's a lot of different caveats to the the actual main issue. I think. Christine, how about yourself? Do you think it's in our interests? Obviously, the SFA govern our game. Surely it's in our interests to have a, a decent working relationship with them. And, and if so, you know, is, is David right? Is it too far gone? Is there, is there really no way back? Or is there anything that the club can do to try and... I mean, should we even be trying to build bridges considering the treatment that we received over the last decade? Is, is there any point in even trying to mend that relationship? I don't see any benefits to us. Um, I think David was saying that. I mean, I think we just knuckle down. We, you know, we operate within the laws of the game. And um, whether we have any influence at the SFA, not really sure. I don't think so. Um, But as long as they, they can't do anything to harm us, um, I, I think we should just leave it. I don't think we should be making any special efforts to to try and ingratiate ourselves into you know their wee circle because they don't want us. Um, that's clear to me, and um, I think we just leave that one alone and forget about building bridges. I think that's a a bridge too far, do they say? Um, but I, I don't think it'll do us any harm to be honest, just to maintain a working relationship, but not a cosy relationship with them. Yeah, fair point. My, my, my fear, maybe it's a, a slightly paranoid and, and way down the line fear, is that if it does come to a, a potential issue of sanctions or punishments for whatever it might be, if, if we don't have the right relationships there, it becomes much easier for that stadium closure to turn into a three-point deduction or, you know, that 50 grand fine to be a hundred grand fine. And that's, you know, maybe maybe that's a, a very far-fetched worry, but it's just something that's kind of niggling in the back of my mind that, that we really need to to guard against. The last point that I want to make on you know, and like I say, this is, this is a Rangers podcast and I want to always come at this from a, a Rangers angle. We always say no one likes us, we don't care. But to a degree, particularly when it comes to the Scottish national team, is there a danger that, that Rangers fans slightly play the victim? And, and what I'll say is that, you know, you'll always hear Rangers fans saying that Ryan Jack was booed when he was coming on as a substitute. Or the one that we've seen this week is that Ollie McBurney's only getting such a slagging in the media because he's a well-known Rangers fan, when actually it's, it's probably more to do with the fact that he was caught on camera saying he didn't want to go away with the Scotland squad. Are we possibly looking for reasons to be offended by the actions of the Tartan army who we, we claim to care so little about? Um, I don't know what you mean. Uh, I can I can absolutely see your point. Um, the McBurnley stuff, I don't really know why why we would why we would care so much. I think he's a Rangers supporter, fair enough, but it does seem there's a lot of talk, you know, going into the game about him so it's, it's natural that the media would then talk more about him I've seen some stuff today though that I just can't get my head around um, on him but I suppose we're not really here to talk about that but yeah 
It's difficult. I, I think the I think it's natural to, to defend your your own in a way. Ryan Jack's stuff, I mean, that was just ridiculous. I don't know how much of that had to do with the fact that he was back in Aberdeen that night. Um and there maybe is a wee bit of it, but I think it's only natural to to feel like that, especially with what has happened over the past few years. You know, you sometimes do feel like the club is or the, the club and its players and fans are targeted more than others. But I think I would prefer if we sort of thrived off that. And as you as you mentioned at the top of your argument, there, you know, about the no one likes us, we don't care type thing. Maybe that's something we need to get a bit. You know, we need to get back in that sort of idea that we are the ones that everyone seems to to hate um, because we're, we're pro, pro, because we're the most successful. That's that's the that's the main sticking point with a lot of people, and, and people can say you know what they like, but I'd like I'd like us to care less, and I think I, I've certainly over the past year or so I've started to care a lot less. Um, because I could have been, I was quite touchy about stuff like that for a couple of years as well. Now I feel that we're in a position where we have a good team, a good manager, um, we've got a strong board, we're, we're spending money again because we have money, we're back in Europe. And I think now's the time maybe to move on from that and just focus on ourselves because that's what we've always always been good at as a club, I think. You see, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, this this kind of outrage about the fact that you know you go on forums online and there's on Twitter or on Facebook and there's folk talking about you know the media are being mean to Ollie McBurney because he's a Rangers fan. You go actually this is this is nothing to do with us actually. You know, we all to a degree fall over ourselves to tell each other how much we don't care about Scotland and everyone's saying oh Scotland were playing in my back garden I wouldn't even open the curtains. Um and yet we it's it's almost like we're sensing looking out for these reasons to become outraged at what the Tartan Army are doing. So I totally agree with you, David, that we sort of need to put that stuff aside. Like you say, we've got one player who, who gets called up for international duty, didn't play on Friday, probably unlikely to play tomorrow. He's saying he's got an injury as well. Um, so if we don't care, let's let's properly not care about it and, and not look for these reasons to, to get so caught up. I, I, I don't particularly care about Scotland. I'll watch them when they're on, but if there's a better game of football on, I'll watch that. Um, so I just I don't I don't always see why we get so worked up about what the the, the Scotland national team's fans are doing, um, and obviously a lot of this again it comes it falls back to that the, the relationship that we have with the SFA that then filters down into the stands and, and this kind of thing. But Christine, where do you come? I'll give you the last word on this. Um, where do you come down on it? Do you think really we need to just put the whole Scotland Tartan Army thing to one. I know you said you you know you used to go and watch all the Scotland games. Where did that relationship start to fall down for you? That, that's that's really hard. I would say probably the eighties. Um, going back that, I know some of you weren't even born then, but um, it just seemed to deteriorate. But obviously, since what happened in two thousand and twelve and the the humiliation. Um, of the sanctions imposed on, on our club um, I think it, it definitely broke down there but you see when I started going to, to watch Scotland there was a lot of Rangers players or Scotland players as well and that's gradually reduced over the years and I think probably since the mid 80s since we started signing 
more foreign players, um, you know, England and beyond um, under Graeme Souness, I think that, you know, it's just gradually deteriorated. Um, but I don't remember um, before recently Rangers players actually getting booed. And that to me is shocking. But um, in the, the overall picture, I, it doesn't really bother me that much. I would prefer in a way that our players weren't even picked for Scotland. It's, it's sad. And I th also think the political situation with the SNP, I don't want to get into it, but, you know, with them um, sort of flying the soul tire as if it's theirs, um, I think that has quite a lot to do with it as well in terms of the, the Rangers fans' feelings towards the, the national team. So there's lots and lots of other things um, beyond football attached to this. And um, I think we should just get on with playing and playing within the rules. Supporters don't give the SFA anything to sanction us about and we'll be fine. I think that, that sums it up nicely. Let's keep our own house in order. Let's focus on our team. Let's stop worrying about what the Tartan Army are saying and uh, and let's focus on getting a winning team on the park. Um, listen, I think what we'll probably do, obviously we've not had a game this week, but we've still talked pretty much for the entire hour. I think that's probably all we're going to have time for this evening. So as always, I want to say a massive thank you to both of my guests this evening for their excellent insights. So that's a huge thanks to, to Christine Somerville and David Wren. Um, thank you as well to everyone who's managed to, to leave us a comment here on the YouTube stream. Um, I'm sorry we never got to, to get through any more of those, but it's been very welcome to see your, your comments and questions. Um, remember, guys, you should subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a thing from Jersnet. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk. When you get there, you'll find a whole load of articles, match previews, as well as the friendly discussion forum where you can catch up with all of the podcast contributors. We're going to be back same time, same place next week um, with David actually himself in the, in the chair hosting for the first time. Um, where we'll be looking forward to the return of Rangers in domestic league action. But until then, all that's left for me to say is a massive, massive thank you as always for tuning in this evening and have a great week.